I'm in my 20s or maybe my 30s. Can't remember simple things. I left out my groceries, but as I'm sinking, I find myself thinking. Not of death or the world's great design, it's of all the books I read when I was nine. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Happy New Year, happy 2022. Um, I have not been on the podcast for a while, but I'm back, and I was happy to see that I still had uh, people who were trying to catch up on some episodes while I was gone, so that was really sweet, and thank you for everyone who messaged me and kept trying to bother me about when the next episode was going to come out. I actually really appreciate that, because, you know, it's nice. So, anyways, here we are. This is the Reading Into It podcast. Um the podcast where I read books generally meant for children. I'm 25 years old, but I'm reading books generally meant for uh, children ages around eight or nine and up. Um, And I just talk about what I like in them, what I thought about them, what I saw in them. And, um, you know, if I was a kid, how would I, how would I have enjoyed this book, I guess. So anyways, uh, we started off this series last year, like October I feel like maybe was my last podcast episode. I can't really remember exactly, but um, that was The Magician's Nephew for uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, the book that we're going to be reading for the next couple of weeks, hopefully, if I stay committed to my goal. So anyways, this book, now that we're going to be talking about, is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is actually the second book in the series. So If you did not listen to the episode before this one for The Magician's Nephew and you just kind of wanted to skip over right away to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is the book that I think most people are familiar with in this series, um, or at least have like maybe read or been read to as a child. So if you did not listen, uh, The Magician's Nephew, basically all you need to know is that that was basically like the genesis of uh Narnia so the majority of the book was spent with um kids being curious about things uh trying to figure out what is right and wrong there were two kids in particular named Polly and Diggory um they were neighbors and they just went on an adventure together and sort of found Narnia while it was being created so they were sort of at the scene when Um, The sky was being made, the land was being made, Aslan shows up and he starts breathing life into trees and flowers, he gives life to animals, he puts which animals in charge and creates like a kingdom of sorts. Um, And then that's also like in the book of Genesis where um, we basically witness the first sin of Narnia, I guess you could say, which is that, you know, the witch is there, it's like same kind of concept, the witch versus the snake in the Garden of Eden. Um, the parallels with that are really similar. So just imagine the seven days of creation and the story of Adam and Eve. That was what the magician's nephew was, essentially. So with that in mind, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I decided to write like a quick summary. I know like in the past, all I've done is I've been like, so anyways, I hate this character and blah, blah, blah. You know, like I just kind of like would go into it a little bit, but Um, I'll do like a general summary that way it's like not really a requirement for you to know like what's going on because I you know I don't want to keep people out of the loop so here are some general facts about this this is the Chronicles of Narnia this is book two the Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe Uh, this book was first published in 1950 I remember talking about in previous episodes and I try to always bring this up that it's important to know the year in which books are written that way you can kind of understand general Uh, conflicts that were happening around the time um, because conflicts affect authors in the same way that like you know you can tell what an artist maybe or might be going through by their painting it's that kind of it's that kind of mindset you know it's like not necessary all the time Um, some authors would prefer that you don't look into that but for the most part I think generally that's what makes fiction really exciting and fun is knowing the conflicts around that time so keeping that in mind imagine the year 1950 when this story was first being told okay so this was published in 1950 written by c.s lewis um and the general like summary that i put down for this book i put the pevensies um which are the four main children if you have not read the book or seen the movie there's four main children and they're all siblings and their last names are the Pevensies. So my summary is that the Pevensies stumble into Narnia, fulfilling a prophecy that was made during Narnia's days of creation. The White Witch takes measures to prevent this prophecy from being fulfilled. 
doing everything in her power to ensure that her continued rule of Narnia lasts a lifetime. So this is this is the general summary is that, which is like a pretty, honestly, this is a pretty general heroic trope, I think, where it's like, um, you know, heroes stumble onto something or some something unexpected happens basically or unexpected on their side happens that makes their ordinary lives super extraordinary. And then uh, later comes to find out people are like, we've been expecting you and thank God you're here. We're so happy to see you. Finally, we're going to be set free. And then the characters, since usually our protagonists are generally good people, then they might be like, okay, I'll stay and I'll help save the world, I guess, you know? So, and this is like the similar hero trope in, you know, like Percy Jackson, we know Harry Potter, um, the Bible, you know, or whatever. So anyways, that's the general summary for that. And then for, I have a section here where I put like main idea of the book, what I think maybe like the whole general gist of it is, is um, I put down belonging to another world and trust in the unknown. So this book is a children's fantasy. It is a work of fantasy. And I think maybe this is generally one of the first steps into reading fantasy is being okay with not knowing things and trying to understand things that you don't quite understand or ex at least accepting that you never will understand um and then belonging to another world okay the reason why i wrote belonging to another world i don't know if this exactly makes sense but stumbling into narnia and then like i kind of tried to find as much information i could about c.s lewis just because i don't know too much about him besides knowing that he was good friends with J.R.R. tolkien um the author of lord of the rings and I know that he studied English, and I know that he is a big person to quote in uh, religious literature, I guess, and religious beliefs. He wrote a lot and had a lot of things to say about religion. So, um, and the the reason why like Christians in particular love this guy so much is that he started off as an atheist. So he wasn't born into Christianity and raised under like a Christian household and didn't go to church or anything like that. Um, it wasn't until he was later, like, an adult that he decided to be a Christian. And that was something, you know, you know how it is. You know how uh, great it is, I guess, for representation if someone who wasn't born into it and naturally became curious about it and then converted to the religion. It's sort of a big deal. So, um, especially, I guess, like, for C.S. Lewis, he was incredibly intelligent and wrote a lot of things. I don't know. I don't know. As you can tell, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like bullshitting a few things here because I'm like eh, you know like he was a guy and he wrote stuff but um you know no offense he wrote some good stuff okay my main point is sorry I'm trying to stay focused trust in the unknown and belonging to another world okay the reason I wrote belonging to another world is because one of the only things I could really find about C.S. Lewis like about his personal life like literally there I could not really find that much it was just kind of like oh he grew up he was a guy he wrote these books this is when he decided to be a Christian and then he died, you know? So I was like, okay, but anyways, I was reading um, or watching this documentary I found on YouTube. And basically it said that like, there, there was one quote in particular that was quoted from C.S. Lewis. And it was something along the lines of like, if we as like human beings have a need that we feel all the time or a deep desire that could never be fulfilled, so, and I'm sure plenty of people feel like this at all times too. It's just like, there's something that's just like missing from your life at all times. If you desire for something that could never be fulfilled and you've never found anything that could fulfill it, no human material thing or human thing in general could ever satisfy this like thirst that you have. Given that information, shouldn't we assume that we don't belong in this world then? Which I thought was honestly a very, very super cool quote so um that's what i wrote as the general idea of the book i don't we don't have too much time spent with the pevensies in their normal human uh, 1950s world or whatever that they're in right now um but in terms of like narnia it seems to me that they feel a sort of like comfort there that they cannot feel in their human world that was something that like kind of shocked me as like a as a kid, I think, when I first, like, saw the movie, I had the movie, I had the PlayStation 2 video game, 
Um, but when I was watching that, I saw that like they go to Narnia. Okay, so here's what happens. They go to Narnia, they have this big grand adventure, and then the kicker here is that they don't really come back like for years, for decades, you know? They literally grow old together. So um, that's the part that kind of confuses me. They do come back in the end and they're like, oh, remember this? This was like 40 years ago or however long that they were there. But they were there long enough to like grow up. And like in my human little child brain, I was like, I cannot even comprehend not coming home, honestly, after like maybe a year and like telling everybody about my adventures and stuff. Like given, I understand like they don't have their parents there. Like they don't have their parents in their current world. So it's like, oh, who are they going to talk to? But I'm like, you guys don't have like friends or like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it seemed odd to me that there isn't something in the human world that would make them come back even once in all of those like years, if that makes sense. So that's the part that kind of like tripped me up. So when I was watching this documentary, I watched it after I finished reading the book and hearing C.S. Lewis say that where he says, oh, like if, if there's something that we cannot be satisfied basically in the human world shouldn't we then assume that we're not of this world that we don't belong in this universe um if you're someone that feels like that then you've been misplaced somehow and you're supposed to be somewhere else then i'm like that's like honestly the most calming way i've heard not of this world be used like ever basically as someone who did grow up in like a christian domination whatever um I did grow up learning a lot of stuff about Christianity. Given that, um, like I've never, I've always just been like, oh, like heaven is this place. You know, I don't know if the Pevensies are in heaven per se, but the way that he phrased that and the way that I read this book or thought about this book after hearing that information, like respect, I got way more respect for it just cause it's like, gosh, like he heaven was always something that was like in the, in the sense of like, I fear it and I love it. I fear it and I want it. Like that was something that like, stressed me out a lot as a child which like I don't know if I should be worried about that as a child but I was stressed out about it as a child and then like just like also really excited for it and then it felt weird to be like that because I was like oh you know like I'm not wanting to die as a child but like heaven sounds cool you know like that kind of thing but at the same time it was like not just anyone's allowed and you know the way that it was phrased like definitely made it seem more scary but this version that he said should we then assume then it just makes it seem like oh like uh, it's just it's a very like spiritual way it's not a religious way of describing heaven if that makes sense there's a religious way of describing heaven i think and there's a spiritual way of describing heaven and i love this spiritual way that he describes what i think is he trying to describe heaven um so and i don't think he doesn't go into detail either of being like oh you know this is what heaven is like it's just like just some thought that he had where i was like that is phenomenal that makes it sound more like if if people phrased it that way i think more people would have in common more people would notice that they have more things in common with christians than they think if that makes sense like i don't if someone had phrased that to me from the start, I definitely would have been more empathetic at least towards the religion in general growing up instead of being like bitter and angry or whatever as like a little child. But this way, I just loved it so much. Sorry. So anyway, that's the main idea that I wrote in this. That's the only thing where I thought maybe that was his point or his ideology that he was trying to get across of like, why don't these kids come back? And it's like, well, maybe something got satisfied there that could not have been satisfied back in the human world whether it be their curiosity um the way that they feel needed maybe or the way that they're useful all of their skills maybe because they definitely are using skills in narnia that i can't see them putting to work in the human world without it being like boring or unexciting or uneventful you know what i mean like just not something for like a kid so anyways bottom line um other things that we want to like move on with i have like a strengths and weaknesses like section two because majority of this episode is probably just going to be me trying to compare the parallels between the bible i'm not sure if this is the right way to go about this honestly i don't know if i should be like mm, like play dumb and act like i don't see these parallels between literatures and whatever that's happening with the bible and in this book specifically like there's so much that it matches with but c.s lewis low-key does it better like no hard feelings to whoever wrote the bible but c.s lewis is doing a better job at it right now um, at least in explaining things and creating characters, but so I have a strength and weaknesses column, but let's just, let's just talk real quickly about like what the whole, what's, what's going on, I guess, in Narnia, basically. So 
this is this is generally what happens okay the Pevensies um are staying with a different individual they're staying um it's not like an uncle I think they're just like this part kind of confuses me but it's during World War II I believe so they are living with someone else while their parents are either like I think their dad is in the war and then I think their mom just like could not have them I'm not someone who's better with history might understand this a bit better but I'm horrible with history but basically they are not living with their parents right now they got children got sent away while things are being under attack so um, this group of children, they got sent to a particular home and it is under a professor and his name is Professor Andrew. Um, not Andrew, sorry, Professor Diggory. Okay, this is where Diggory comes in. Diggory was introduced in the last book um, and somehow meets up with these kids. So basically there's this massive, massive home and um, the kids are like, okay, like there's like a short chapters where they're living in this in this house basically before everything starts to happen so basically they're just it, the book starts out they're just sitting around in the house and they're trying to figure out what to do they're bored you know so they're like maybe we can play baseball maybe we can like play tag you know whatever and they decide on a game of hide and seek so uh peter starts counting everyone tries to go find a hiding place around the house in this massive mansion of a house so everyone's running around hiding everyone's separated from each other and Lucy, Lucy is the youngest of the siblings, okay? There's four of them. There's Peter. He's the oldest. He's the one that's counting. We have Edmund. He is um, the other brother. Okay, let me go in order. There's Peter. There's Susan. There's Edmund. And then there's Lucy in that order from oldest to youngest. Um, Peter and Susan are probably closer to age than everyone else, I think. I think um, Peter's maybe around like 15 years old. And then Susan sounds like maybe she's around like 14 and then, um, you know, then there's Edmund. Edmund is like a nine-year-old boy or something. And then Lucy is really young. I'm probably getting all of these ages wrong. But generally, you just need to understand that Susan and Peter are very, like, adult-like and capable. And they're the oldest siblings. So everyone's playing hide-and-go-seek. Uh, Lucy, the youngest one, she decides to hide in a wardrobe. She finds a little wardrobe. And she's like, I'm going to hide in here. She goes into the wardrobe. And this is how everything happened she just kind of like scoots in and she's like this wardrobe's pretty cold this is weird whatever and then she feels something weird with her foot it sounds like a, it sounds like it's a stick that she breaks or something she turns around and she's like what the hell is going on looks around and notices that the wardrobe actually leads into narnia it's just this big winter wonderland there's snow everywhere uh, she sees one singular light post in the middle of everything and then beyond that is just like forests and there's like small little critters she can kind of hear noises and like you know it's just this beautiful beautiful winter wonderland so she's like amazed by this she goes over to the light post she looks at it she's like this is really cool I don't know where I am though this is really weird why is it snowing it's so cold here this is not back home you know it's not snowing back there so she's she's being her cute little curious self and then out comes one of the characters, Mr. Tumnus, and Mr. Tumnus says like, oh, like, are you a human? And he asks her that like a million times, honestly. Honestly, probably like three times, but it felt like a million times when it was happening. Everyone in this book like loves asking them if they're human. So he's like, are, are you a human? Are you a, are you a daughter of Adam and Eve? And she doesn't really understand. She's like, what do you mean? Like, why are you phrasing it like that? Yeah, I'm a human. What else would I be? And he's like, oh, okay. Like, I'm, I'm not a human, blah, blah. You know, he's he's a little creature too of Narnia and stuff but he's he's really eager to meet her and really excited and like for me it comes off as a red flag immediately but Lucy is not you know afraid basically like this is like a dream come true this is every child's dream come true you stumble into a new world it's like some beautiful fairyland and you know you're gonna say yes to everything basically or at least I would if I was Lucy's age and I was that curious about everything so you know she's not gonna assume anyone's gonna be weird or mean or whatever you know so Mr. Tumnus says like oh you should come back to my house and come hang out with me right now and she's like oh okay you know sounds good so she goes with him she's talking to him he tells her stories he's telling her all about Narnia and like the adventures how it got started um what kind of legends they talk about what kind of stories they tell he sings her a song so they're having this grand old time and then eventually Lucy like passes out and she is asleep and then she wakes up and Mr. Tumnus is being a creep and he's like oh my god I'm such a bad person I can't believe I ever did that I don't understand like what got into me blah 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 and she's like 
whatever you did, I'm sure it's okay. Like, do you want to talk about it? Like, she's still being her sweet self. He's like, I cannot. I can't. I can't even tell you what I did. Like, I'm... I, like, kidnap somebody. And she's like, oh, well, like, stop kidnapping people. Like, she's just being... She just, like, doesn't really understand. And also, like, this this whole scene, honestly, like, this whole book in general freaks me out. If I'm being honest, like, it, it scares me. It, like, I don't know if it's, like, triggering or what, but it's just, like, there's some moments where I'm, like, I'm actually a little bit scared, even though I know, like, no one's gonna, like, you know, die or, I don't know, be extra creepy. But, because it's a children's book, but... Mr. Tumnus really freaks me out. The, in like the scariest moments of this book, even even besides the battle, the, I don't I would not even count like this big battle that happens in the book to be one of the scariest moments. And there's legit like giants and like ogres and like all these like crazy things popping up. Aside from that, this scene scares me the most. It makes me so uncomfortable. The whole you should come to my house, Lucy listening, Lucy being oblivious, Lucy's curiosity getting the better of her, you know, it's just like her showing up, her passing out at this stranger's house and then the stranger being like, oh my God, I feel so bad. Like I could have done something worse to you and I didn't basically is the thing that makes him feel bad. And then he's like, listen, like I work for the queen or the witch. He says her, she's like an evil witch. She rules over this town. I work for her and my job is that I kidnap people for her and then I bring them to her. People who like disobey her laws and you know, whatever. But she's always asked us to keep an eye out for human beings. So... I saw you and I have to, I have to turn you in, you know, or whatever. And Lucy's like, oh my gosh, like, don't do that. And he's like, okay, I won't. He's like, I'm about, I'm about to be in a lot of trouble, but you need to GTFO. And she's like, okay, you know, like, bye. Thanks for the tea. And she leaves. And then that's it basically. And she's like, oh my gosh, like I've been gone for hours. I like spent the night at Mr. Tumnus's place basically because I passed out. He drugged me, put something in my drink and I fell asleep. That's the other thing that's creepy, you guys. Like, she didn't just, like, fall asleep because she's being a cute little kid. Like, I don't remember what it was. I think it was, like, hypnosis or something. Like, he played her some song and, like, made sure she fell asleep or, like, basically did everything in her in his power to make sure she didn't leave. Like, he fed her. He was like, no, 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 don't go yet. No, we should do this. No, we haven't talked about this yet. Like, he just kept me, like, you know, baby, it's cold outside. Like, he was, like, that times a thousand, basically. So... Um, that whole song is Mr. Tumnus and Lucy. So what's in this drink? Anyway, okay. So there's, that's the whole thing that happens. Lucy comes back and she's like, I remember where to go. I go to the light post and then I make a left, whatever. She runs back into her world and she's like, you guys, I'm back. Like, welcome me back. Like, it's been so long. I'm sure you guys were so worried. It's all right. I'm okay. Like, I'm all good. And Peter is still in the middle of counting. So Peter's like, the fuck are you talking? Like, what do you mean? Like, go back into your hiding spot. You're ruining the game. And everyone else gets mad and they're like, oh my gosh, like, Lucy, stop. Like, why? what are you going on about? What are you talking about? Narnia? And she's like, no, for real. So she's like freaking out. She's confused. There's like a big time difference, obviously. Time spent in Narnia is no time at all in the human world. So she's trying to explain everything. No one's believing her, whatever. And then there's one other incident, okay? There's one other incident where... Lucy tries to go back to check on Mr. Tumnus. She tries to go back and then Edmund follows her so that he can like make fun of her. Edmund is basically, he's not the oldest brother, that's Peter, but Edmund is like honestly class one, class A, a-hole. Like he is an a-hole, legit. He's in that weird phase right now where he just wants to make everyone's lives miserable, that weird preteen age. So that's where Edmund is. Edmund follows Lucy and I think it's his intentions are to like scare her or to like freak her out and be like some, you know, annoying brother, tease her or whatever. So he goes in there, but he also sees Narnia. So he's like, hello, you know, like bumps into Narnia and he's confused, whatever. His journey is a bit different though. Lucy goes and she's trying to spend time with Mr. Tumnus and she does. I think she goes to his house and they spend more time having tea together and she's like, listen, it's okay. You didn't do that, blah, 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 whatever. So they're slowly becoming more friends. She spends more time with this guy. Edmund, however, he loses Lucy. He doesn't follow her exactly or loses her in some pathway. So he takes his own route and the route that he takes, um, he just happens to stumble across uh, the White Witch and she's like, out on a stroll or something um so she's like in her little carriage and she's like oh my god are you a human and he's like um yeah like what do you mean and she's and of course Edmund like not knowing anything he's doing the same thing that Lucy did which is 
having childlike trust in absolutely everything, but I guess no red flags that went off at all with this woman when he was giving her all this information, but he basically tells her, like, his life story. He's like, oh, yeah, like, my name's Edmund Pevensey. Yeah, I'm a human. Like, I've got all these other siblings back home. I lost my sister, Lucy. I don't know where she went. She was with Mr. Tumnus. Do you know that guy? Like, he just runs his mouth the, the entire time. And the witch is like, okay, good. Like, you're an idiot and you're giving me all this information. So... Edmund is like chill with it and she starts saying stuff you know like oh you could be my king one day like she's just being like whatever just saying anything to try and be like listen I'll say whatever to get you to tell me everything that you're about to tell me you know so she's been saying all this other stuff the whole time like oh you want some food you want some hot cocoa but she's also kind of mean she's like all right stop eating like <laughs> she's she's a little rude to him and he's like scared of her he's scared but also at the same time he's just like yeah, okay, like, yeah, you're gonna make me in charge, and I don't know, she just keeps saying stuff like, oh, you could be, like, my knight, you could do this, you could, like, I could promote you, you would be in charge, you could help rule with me, and he's like, all right, sounds good to me, and then eventually he leaves, like, he's just like, oh, I'm gonna go, like, find my sister, blah, 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 and she was like, yeah, can you bring all your siblings to me, actually, that would be really cool, like, I'll make you king if you show up here next time at my castle with all of your siblings, and he's like, oh, okay, so anyways, this is, this is like, I'm only going to mention this part because honestly it like gets into like a little bit of a blur because then it turns into, it turns into the Bible, you know, essentially. Sorry about it, but it turns into the Bible. So all this is to say, you know, like this is what we're gathering from, or at least what I've gathered from how the characters are that I think is going to be important in future, um, future books in the series, I guess. So the things that I wrote about, like, this is what I wrote down after, like, these first, like, three chapters, okay? The first three chapters being that, like, Lucy stumbles into the land um, and then stumbles back out after meeting Mr. Tumnus, Edmund following her, Edmund coming back home and after talking to the witch, still, um, this, this is the kicker, okay? Like, he comes back, this is the thing that bugs me, he comes back into the human world um, with Lucy and Lucy's like, oh my gosh, Edmund, like, isn't it so cool that we went to Narnia together? Like, now we can tell people, and now people will for sure believe me. And she goes back, and she tells Peter and Susan, she's like, Edmund was with me this time, you guys. I swear I'm not lying. You guys have to see this place. It's called Narnia. Like, Edmund was there. Edmund, tell them. And Edmund is straight up like, I don't know what you're talking about. Which, I'm like, how? Huh? Like, it it does not make sense to me. It does not make sense to me. Sorry. I'm like starting to stutter my words because it makes me so pissed off. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand the intention besides just being an a-hole, you know? So he basically just denies everything. And there's there's a short, short moment. This I'm just letting, I'm just trying to catch you guys up real quick to like where I stopped. And I was like, okay, this is what I have to say about the characters. Okay. So the part that I stopped at was up until like that whole point, like they're all arguing about whether or not Lucy is telling the truth or not or Edmund is telling the truth so they're like hey listen like Edmund says that it wasn't there Edmund's older than you um you know can you please stop lying about it we don't know why you're going on about this fantasy Lucy and she's like what are you talking about whatever so then Diggory the guy who owns the whole mansion who's currently housing the children he comes out and he's just like what is everyone arguing about they tell him the situation they're like Lucy says that she found this place called Narnia in the wardrobe uh, she keeps going on about it. And then she said that Edmund went with her, but Edmund did not actually go with her. Edmund says that he didn't go anywhere. He says that he's been here the whole time. He doesn't know what Lucy's talking about. She's being crazy. Um, and uh, Diggory's, did I say Uncle Andrew again? His name's Diggory. Diggory's response is he's like, let's think about this rationally, okay? He's like, let's see, who, generally among the two of your siblings, who tells the truth more often? Who's the most truthful? Is it uh, Lucy or is it Edmund? And the siblings are like, well, it's always Lucy. That's why it's weird that she's like lying so much right now. Like she, we don't understand why she's going on about this thing. Um, she's generally really trustworthy and she always is telling us the truth. And then Diggory is like, so why if she's never really had any instances of acting crazy before or telling lies before, why do you doubt this one? Is it because it's hard to believe? Or is it because, like, you really think there's something wrong with her or what? And they're like, uh, well, like, wh what do you mean? You know? And he's like, this is important. Like, you need to, like, 
judge a person's character before you decide if they're telling the truth or not. You can't just decide someone's not telling the truth because it's something that's a little bit difficult to believe. That's like his lesson that he gave them. So he was like, if Edmund is known to tell a lot more lies, why are you suddenly believing him now over this other person who has a way better record of only telling the truth? That kind of like shuts them up a little bit and they're like, it doesn't make any sense. How is that possible though? Like we don't understand how Lucy's like accusations basically lucy's declarations of some fantasy world existing in this closet it doesn't make any sense to us like that's not something that's humanly possible right and then diggory's like well i don't know you know but like i don't see why you guys can't believe your little sister who has always been honest to you uh instead of just like assuming that she's wrong and not checking it out for yourselves so he's like so maybe you guys should just go check it out for yourselves to see basically and then they're like, okay, fine, you know, so they eventually all go in there and they're still kind of like fighting about it, whatever. Um, but then like, they're also like not supposed to be in that certain area of the house. So this is a new day. They're not supposed to be in that certain area of the house. Um, they knew that they were going to get in trouble. They hear the housekeeper coming up and they're really scared of that housekeeper or caretaker of the, of the uh, Professor Diggory. So they're like, okay, let's just, you know, we were going to just talk about the wardrobe in front of the wardrobe, but now let's just, let's just go in there. There's enough room. So they all go into the wardrobe and then they're all pushing each other and someone gets shoved into a tree and they're like, the fuck, why is there a tree? And someone falls on their butt in snow and they're like, there's snow. So anyways, that's how everyone comes into the land. So flash forward now, the, after reading that, I paused and I'm like, okay, this is what I have to say about what I think like the roles are supposed to be um, in terms of the characters. So Lucy, um, Lucy is my favorite character. That's that's the one thing that I have to say. Okay. I think Lucy is creative. I think Lucy is innovative. And I think that Lucy is trustworthy. And I think those are all of her strengths as well as like, I think the trustworthiness one might also come into being a bit of a downside about Lucy. But I like that Lucy is very like just, you know what I mean? Lucy is very... I think they even say this later, like when she becomes like a ruler of Narnia, spoiler alert, she becomes like a ruler of Narnia. But when she becomes one, they say, oh, Lucy the Just. They always say that about her. And then they say like Susan the Valiant, I think. I think that's how it is. But basically bottom line, that's ugh, Lucy's my favorite character. She's the youngest one. She's curious. She's um, creative. She's always trying to figure out new solutions to things. And she's like, well, why don't we just do this? Or why don't we just do this? And she never hesitates to help anybody. I'm obsessed with that. That's the perfect childlike quality that I love so much to read in books like this. It's just when someone is so genuinely true to being like a child, like so, so like, un, so purely uncorrupted, basically, like they have not been like told not to trust people yet or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like Lucy just loves. Lucy just loves people. She trusts people. She wants to help people. She's a good person, this little girl. So there's Lucy. Edmund, I I honestly don't really have much to say about Edmund. I put that he is the pessimistic of the group, which can be a pro and a con. Obviously, it's probably more phrased more often than not as a con, but as a pro, I would say pessimism is almost necessary in every single book. And that's, you know, he's probably the person that would give people like a reality check, even if it's rude and unnecessary at times. He's the one person that's like, well, that wouldn't work and that's stupid or, you know, it doesn't make sense to do it this way or else everyone's going to die, basically. So um, I think in that sense, that would make him like a good critical like warrior of sorts. Um would I hang out with Edmund? No. Would I, if he was, if I went to Narnia, if I lived in Narnia, would he be one of my favorite rulers? No. Would I ever want to go to his birthday party? No. Like I don't, I do not like Edmund at all. I don't like him. I know he's a kid, whatever. Do not like him. He makes a lot of mistakes in this book. And um, I don't know if it's meant to be like, he's sort of like the scapegoat, I guess. Maybe that's something I could say. He's a scapegoat. No one blames him per se, which is shocking. I would blame the out of him if I was one of the siblings I'd be like this is all your fault I'm so pissed off like basically stop hanging out with us you know like you're not one of the Pevensies anymore like straight up disown this kid if I was one of the Pevensies I'd disown this kid but the shocking part is that they all don't do that they're all like we have to save Edmund we have to go find him but it, there's so love always overpowers this group of kids and I'm I'm here for it I understand it it's beautiful whatever um, but bottom line, I just, the only quality I gave Edmund was a pessimistic, uh, critical thinker. So that's what I gave him. Susan, I put as an optimist and she honestly acts more of like a motherly 
strategist, I guess you could say. Maybe not motherly, but she's a strategic person. So she's optimistic and she's like, there's got to be a better way. This is a better solution. Everybody try really hard. Everybody try their best. And then also like looks out for everybody and make sure like nobody's falling behind. So that's Susan. And then Peter, I put Peter has a lot of curiosity and a lot of leadership. I think that like the more I think about it, I think Peter and Lucy are probably more alike than any of the other two siblings. Um, Peter holds a lot of curiosity. He asks a lot of questions and he's like very quiet and contemplative and stuff. So I think like in terms of siblings being alike, you know, like I don't really find that much in common with all of them, but I do find that Peter and Lucy have a ton in common because it's like basically Peter's the grown up version of Lucy where he's just like very like strong and just and is like looking out and thinking hard about stuff but he's open to asking questions and learning new things and Lucy is so curious all the time like what's this what's that let's come over here do you want to ask what it is oh my gosh that's so beautiful you know and then Peter at the same time is like what's this what should I do next what is that why do I have to do that tell me this explain to me why this had to happen you know he's very like give me some answers right now and Lucy's kind of in that way too but they're both weirdly okay with not getting the full answer they're both like hmm okay and like we'll just think about it so I'm obsessed with them my fit my top two are Peter and Lucy Lucy's number one my favorite okay so basically gosh I'm like I'm trying to look through my notes and it's honestly a bit chaotic but um I put that we did get a few like Greek god shout outs in this book um someone mentioned Lady Lilith which I thought was interesting. I'll go, I'll go back on that. And then a note that I had to, at least in those beginning uh, first chapters, is that I put, uh, uh, what did I put? Oh, Mr. Tumnus is a victim of the system. I put, okay, which is whatever, reading into it. I'm, I'm reading into it. That's my thing, okay? But basically, Mr. Tumnus, I just, you know, I, although that whole scene does make me wildly uncomfortable where he's like, listen, I'm supposed to turn you in, whatever. And I know there's a whole redemption arc that happens, you know, basically like he gets taken prisoner. He gets punished by the white witch for not doing as he's told, essentially, and then um, is freed later by Aslan, you know, and then all that fancy stuff is happening. But I want to have, I was like, I want to have sympathy for Mr. Tumnus, despite it being, like, creepy. He did do the right thing by, like, stopping himself when things got a bit too intense, but he's just a victim of the system, and I put that just because, obviously, this lady is a crazy person who's trying to take over everybody and, like, will kill people for disobeying, so it's like, you know, he, he's, I don't know. I don't know how far I can justify people being on the wrong side of things for safety but um in terms of like children's books and stuff because it's not something i've never it's not something i've had to like directly interact with while growing up like someone who's been in that way you know or that there was like a clear this is right this is wrong and the person was on the clear wrong side for this for the support of you know just for the the, the luxury of safety basically is what i'm talking about so I want to have sympathy for Mr. Tumnus just because this is a fantastical world with probably a lot more different threats than what is essentially our world, I guess. So the part that we start seeing like biblical parallels with that I don't, I don't, I don't know if I should just like summarize everything. I, I don't think I will just because I've already rambled on for quite a bit, but basically um, the parallels between this and the uh, what essentially is happening in the Bible. So this is New Testament, okay? This is New Testament stuff. Um, last book that we had, Magician's Nephew, that was Old Testament. That was book one and book two of the Bible, basically, of just things being created, things happening, sins happening. And um, if you're if you're not someone who grew up with Christianity, um, or at least someone who had to study intensively, like Christian doctrine, there's basically this moment in Genesis when Adam and Eve first sin then there's this moment where God is like you know oh like why did you do this why didn't you do as I say you know like now here's your punishment you know or whatever this is this is what's going to happen now now that you've eaten from the forbidden tree you know so there's that whole little mini story but there's also a moment where he says something pretty briefly where he's like listen like now that, that snake is out there you need to be aware of it whatever um, that snake is going to get like more 
powerful basically like sins are going to get more powerful things are basically going to get worse for human beings from here on out it's just going to keep going downhill and he's like but don't worry because eventually there's something that's going to happen and this is where his prophecy comes in he's like eventually someone will come down and like basically break the snake's neck for good like there will be a foot that comes down and it smashes the head of the snake um for good and you guys won't have to worry about not being saved anymore basically like you won't have to worry about being separated from me like everything will be fine after that um don't worry about it like this evil is like probably not a big of a threat right now but it's just gonna grow and grow and grow and then when it does get really really bad uh someone's gonna come and save you from it all basically that's like the prophecy um i don't know if that meant much exactly to adam and eve because you know they died and like did not get to meet jesus and so did like everyone else after that like thousands and thousands of years have passed and then and then that's when jesus showed up to fulfill the prophecy and basically like defeat the evil per se but when i when i growing up christian when i was reading this it never made sense to me i don't understand it i don't i did not understand and i still kind of don't understand this book kind of helped a little bit but I like would never, I never got it why Jesus had to die. You know what I mean? I was like, why did he have to do that? Like that does not, that does not make any sense to me. If he's God, why didn't he just like, you know what I mean? And like, there's this funny, this funny quote that I like saw on Reddit when I was freaking like looking up stuff or, or whatever. And it was just like, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he just like forgive or like say, I forgive you or whatever. And like that, that made me laugh. Cause I was like, honestly true. But like, that's the that's how my mind went whenever I would hear about it. They're like Jesus died for you and I'd be like okay but like what does that mean like he didn't have to do that I didn't ask him like we could be alive at the same time you know like it just did not make sense to me um this book we have Aslan who is essentially supposed to I don't I don't know if he's per se like the Jesus in this situation because in this sense the Pevensies are coming to fulfill the prophecy and they're coming to like help battle but I don't know if it's like you know, I think it's just one of those prophecies. It's like, don't worry, human beings will return once again to Narnia. And this is how it's going to work. Okay, it's going to like help out with this. And I guess like time-wise, it kind of makes sense. It's probably been like maybe hundreds of years, you know, or hundreds of thousands of years in Narnia. And like not that long in the human world because Diggory is still alive and kicking it as an old man. And he was there when Narnia was first being created. So um, it's not like the world is going to be like, oh, like we're the same age as like, whatever as diggory you know what i mean like for sure if it's like if if she was there for like a whole day with mr tumnus and then comes back and not even a second has passed not even a second has passed in the human world like you know what i mean so it's like i don't understand what the time difference is so basically you know the humans come back whatever the pevensies are the ones that are supposed to come back like when the humans come back this is when the prophecy is going to start okay so then in the magician's nephew we get the similar prophecy um that's told as the same as in the bible which is basically um you know the white witch gets brought over to narnia and you know aslan's like great you know like now that she's here she's probably going to get a lot stronger honestly like she's going to get more powerful She's going to get more people to join her side. She's going to like recruit more people. She's going to be evil as hell. Um, but don't worry, folks, because eventually humans will come back. And when the humans come back, that will be the end of your misery. Things are going to be okay again. So that's the prophecy we get from Narnia. Um, and this is this is what it is. The humans are back. The Pevensies are the ones that are coming back. And they're the ones that are putting this prophecy, I guess, into motion. And that's also like given what people are talking about, too, like I think... I think the humans are just meant to be like a symbol. I don't think like they're the heroes per se in this in this situation. Like yeah, like they learn to battle eventually and stuff like that, but Aslan is the real only hero in this whole story. He's the one that actually like fixes things, he's the one that actually saves people, he's the one that actually corrects things and brings them back to life and heals people, you know, like he's like this super awesome super, you know, he's a lion. He's god, so that's basically what's happening. I think the humans are meant to be a symbol. So they they show up. And when they show up, everyone in Narnia is like, any minute now, Aslan's going to come. Any minute now, we're going to see him. He's going to be here any minute. Our great king, he'll be here any minute. So they're starting to say stuff like that, you know. And then, of course, Aslan does appear. And he greets the children, tries to give them lessons. He gives them weapons to protect themselves and talks to them about stuff. But this is, this is the part where the sacrifice 
part comes in okay the part where i was like okay this kind of like makes sense i guess in terms of what what it means to sacrifice i guess or what it meant when jesus was sacrificed versus when aslan was sacrificed um the only difference is i think c.s lewis might have explained it a bit better so here here is what here's what happened i think um basically Edmund broke some kind of law, I guess, or he he broke some kind of rule or he did something that basically gave the white witch the right to own him. So she was like, I own him now. That was the deal. This is the law. This is how things are here. This is how it works. So I get to own him now. And Aslan is unable to fight that. He's like, yeah, that's true. Actually, that is the agreement. You do get to keep him. And then the White Witch is like, yay, awesome. Like, if I have him, then I'm going to kill him. And then the prophecy can't be fulfilled because the prophecy talks about four other humans. And then there's only going to be three. So she's basically like, I'm one less person to worry about, you know. So she's like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to kill this guy as soon as possible. So she takes Edmund. And then Aslan is like, maybe I can make a deal with you. So he goes off into the corner and he's talking to her for a long time. And then he comes back and he's like, Edmund, you are free to go. And Edmund's like okay you know and he gets to leave and everyone's like relieved that they finally have Edmund like oh Edmund welcome back you know we're so happy that you're not gonna die basically whatever and then they try to ask Aslan you know like what did you say to her and he's like that's private that's nobody's business I'm sorry but like you know we figured it out we settled it and it's fine so later um we find out like uh, Lucy, Lucy and um, Susan are basically like trying to sleep in this little campground too. Everyone's safe in their little tents. Um, and then Lucy's like, I can't sleep. And I also haven't seen Ed, uh, Aslan for a while. And he's been acting weird like all day. He's been really quiet and like contemplative. I feel really weird. I think I should go check on him. And Susan's like, okay, I'll go with you. They see Aslan and he's leaving the camp. So they're like, okay, we have to follow him. Let's see where he's going. They follow him. It's in the middle of the night. Everyone is asleep. Um, they're following him through the woods. And then eventually they're like, hey, like, you know, Aslan hears them. And he's like, why are you guys following me? And they're like, sorry, like, we're, we don't know where you're going. We got really worried about you. We've been thinking about you a lot today. You seem really, like, tired and quiet today. Can we just, can we just go with you? And he's like, I don't think you should, but I do feel really lonely right now. So please, like, yeah, go ahead and come with me. And they're like, okay. So, and then it's, it's a sweet, it's a sweet little moment too, where he's like, can you guys like just pet me and like, just like, you know, give me a hug or something. So they like give him a hug and have this cute little moment before him. And he's clearly very upset. And he's like, I'm what you're about to witness. Like, don't be scared, but it has to happen. Okay. Like don't, if you want to stay, go ahead and stay. But I recommend you guys might leave. Don't let people know that you're here. And he, they're like, okay. And basically what they witness is like a whole mockery of him. Like he comes into the woods where everyone, including the witch, okay, not everyone, but like the people on the bad side, basically. The witch, all her followers and everyone are all gathered in the woods and they're so happy to see Aslan in an evil way. They um, immediately like chain him up and they start like beating him, whipping him, whatever, um, mocking him, calling him a pussycat and like telling him that he's not strong, whatever. Um, this makes Lucy and Susan pissed because they know that Aslan could like beat the crap out of them, but he like doesn't. So they're like, why do you have to treat him like that if he's already willingly not trying to hurt you? So they're pretty, they're pretty pissed about it. They're just watching from the sidelines, whatever. Um, and then eventually they're like, okay, like let's sacrifice him. Let's put him on the table and let's sacrifice this guy. So they kill him. They kill, I wish I had like a more gentle way of placing this because I don't really know. And it's honestly very sad to talk about, but Aslan gets sacrificed. Everyone's mocking, spitting on him, whatever. They've shaved all his head off. They've just like, you know, tried to humiliate him in basically any way possible. And then they leave him there to die. And he's tied up on the bed. No one bothers getting on the bed, on the stone bed. And no one bothers, um, you know untying him or getting rid of the body or anything like that they're just like yeah awesome and then they all like leave um so that's this is this is the part where i'm like okay this makes sense this was not explained in the bible in the bible it was just like oh someone's gonna come and save you and then it was like okay and then like the person came and then he died and we were like okay and they're like look he died for you and you're just like okay you know like it just did not make sense to me so this this version makes sense this version makes sense if there was some sort of contract with satan or the evil of the world that 
God had to negotiate for. That's the part that makes sense. Um, that part I feel like was not ever explained to me as a child, or at least it was not explained in, in, no, I'm just going to say it was not explained to me. I've always just been like, what, how, why did that have to happen? And it never made any sense to me. Everyone's always just been like, oh, like, well, that's just what he did for you. Isn't that so nice? And I'm like, but why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he have done something else? I don't understand. That's a lot of guilt to have on my behalf as someone who was not even born during that time. And someone already died for me before I was born, you know? So I was like, how does that even happen? This version makes sense. If there was a pact between an evil or some other un unworldly evil happening around and affecting this human world that, uh, that had a contract of some kind that owned certain things or like was saying, this is the deal. I get to keep this person and it, this person gets to be mine. And then Jesus making a pact physically and saying this is what has to happen this is the this is the deal you know and this is this is the part that gets interesting because then this brings in other works of literature okay there's other this this brings in outside sources aside from the bible essentially is what we're talking about here this is something that pushes if we're if we're looking into this idea this mindset of why aslan a representation of jesus had to go through this sacrificial moment um this pushes us then to do research outside of the bible um, which I think C.S. Lewis did at all times. That's that's what makes him like a unique religious writer instead of someone who's traditional and like, let's say like an old traditionalist, like Catholic from the 1600s, where it's like, this is what the Bible says and this is what we have to do. Uh, there instead is his philosophies, basically, where he's talking about, oh, if this is the thing, then can we assume that this is why this had to happen? And then also, can we look into this? What's this other reading? What's this other writing? And we see that a lot in this book, too, because he has mentions of Greek gods in this book. He has a mention of Lady Lilith in this book. If you have not heard of Lady Lilith, Lady Lilith is a character that was based off of a painting basically and it's this old folklore type story essentially that there was someone named lilith in the bible that was taken out that's like some other little like little legend i guess you can say and her her whole deal here this I'll, I'll explain why i'm bringing this up but her whole deal basically is that like she was adam's first wife um, and it didn't work out because she was not submissive. She didn't want to do what she was told. And she was like too beautiful. She loved her body. Um, she cared about her appearance, you know, stuff like that. She was like seen basically like she was portrayed as a temptress as Adam's first wife didn't work out. So then he got Eve. Um, anyway, so the reason, the reason I like bring all of this up is that like this pushes us to look in outside sources instead. And when we're talking about that, when we're thinking, oh, is there like some other evil that maybe God made a pact with or maybe god made a uh compromise with per se over some kind of contract and that brings us into works like paradise lost if you haven't if you haven't heard about paradise lost that brings in the whole lore of like should we then try and look up um what the relationship is between satan and god basically how that the story of the fallen angel what happened to get the angel kicked out of heaven essentially and like what fuels uh his or her their uh passion for continuing to fight against god and what their different ideals are um this is also important too to kind of think about i don't know if this like is diving way too much into it but this would also be something like how christians um are sort of familiar with other religions but at the same time like not really and uh, I've heard some like pretty okay things about Satanists as well. So um, I've I've never read the Satanic Bible, but I have met some people who are Satanists, and it doesn't really seem exactly the way that um, things have been portrayed exactly in the Bible. So I like I like this whole perspective thing. I like that this kind of pushes us into thinking. Okay, let's think about you know, let's be aware that this is what our Christian doctrine says, and then let's take it further upon ourselves to read about other stuff and keep adding to this Christian doctrine in our mind or in our work, in our studies, whatever way that we're studying it. Let's not just use this one resource to do all of our research, basically. Um, so that that's what, that's what that pushes us to do. Okay, I'm going to mention real briefly too about why I bring up Lady Lilith. The whole reason I brought that up is because I was, I was confused about this too, but 
basically the witch like she she is essentially like a human you know if if you've read the book before this with us or if you listen to the podcast episode before this we know that she's from a different world she literally destroyed her own world and then bounced basically and then world hopped to a few places and then ended up in narnia um but basically like in in the story you know she's like oh like are you a are you a human are you are you a daughter of adam and eve are you blah, blah blah whatever but they always say like son of adam and daughter of eve like they always say that but the witch appears human too, you know, basically. And the way that this is written, C.S. Lewis has, he, he's kind of like Lemony Snicket um, that we've read about before, obviously, where Lemony Snicket will explain emotions where he's just like, oh, you know, so-and-so felt scared, so they did this. Or so-and-so uh, felt overwhelmed, so overwhelmed that they did this instead or whatever. So he has that kind of caretaker voice or whatever. But anyways, there's a soft explanation where... Um, basically he was like oh the witch is human honestly like she doesn't have like different legs like all these other creatures are like they're dwarves or you know they've got like horns or they're like half animal or half another creature and half human you know like human appearing um but she looks like a full-on human and css lewis explanation for that is he says like oh yeah she is also a daughter of adam but she is different from other humans because she is a daughter of lilith and then he moves on and that's all he says about it. So this this was like the short little lore bit of like me trying to explain the Lady Lilith part. I thought that was really cool that he brought Lady Lilith. I personally obviously love Lady Lilith. I know I at least like when I was taking classes about this and heard her mentioned through different like portrayals and different ways that she was painted. Basically, like she's one of those things in Victorian literature where um, like people demonize or like dehumanize women if they feel okay with their appearance and sexuality it's it's that weird deep like sexist whatever you know what i mean where it's just like women are sexualized and then once they're like yeah i'm sexualized then they're like oh bad on you for sexualizing you know what i mean it's it's one of those weird like contradictory things where it's like oh all women do is like makeup and do their hair and then when a woman is like yeah actually i really do like doing my makeup and doing my hair then they're like wow like you're so into yourself and you're so, you know what I mean? But it's like, this is what you built me to tell me that I'm supposed to worry about. You've given me nothing else to worry about. And then yet here we are where I'm actually worrying about it. Now you're making me feel silly for worrying about it. You know what I mean? It's like, whatever. It's like one of those things of like sexualizing women. And then like, they're like, yeah, I like sex. And then they're like, you're a whore, you know, basically you're like, oh my gosh, like you slut or, you know, it's just like, it's just this big contradictory thing where it's like, you made it like this and like now you're mad that you made it like this and why are you mad that I'm enjoying it you know it's just like some anyways that's basically what like the take I took on it when I was arguing about this in class is that I was like this is like you know what I mean it's like I don't understand why they think that she's evil and they they think she's evil because you're like oh she's a temptress basically like she's hot you know they're like oh she's good looking she was a temptress and it's like no she just looked good that's not her fault that you guys you know what I mean it's just whatever it's just it's a symbol it's a deeper symbol maybe this will come more into play the more that we see the white witch but here are my concluding thoughts okay uh the things that i like about this i like that this book better explains why aslan aka the jesus of narnia sacrificed himself um and i like that this gave me more to think about jesus's reason or at least kind of explained a sort of contract type idea or some kind of trade-off that was meant to happen. That part makes sense to me. That was never explained to me like that as a child. Um, so I appreciated that. Uh, other thing that I like, I like the safe parental narrator that announces emotions and footnotes of confusing behaviors. Our good old friend C.S. Lewis, I appreciate that. I appreciate the way that he phrases things, but I also appreciate it that I forget about him. I think that was hard to do in in um lemony snicket's books i was like okay like he's his he's his whole ass other character lemony snicket is a whole other character that's more involved in the story than we thought um in this one it's just kind of like while you're reading something he's like oh by the way this word means this you know or oh by the way like this is why edmund did this and then we'll keep going on i like that he wasn't pushy and he wasn't invasive or intrusive in his um omniscient whatever in his omniscient voice oh again if we're not aware what omniscient means that means that when you have a narrator that is all-knowing so there are narrators that'll just say like edmund did this edmund said this blah 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 who was witnessing the story with us that person's not omniscient omniscient would be that we get inside uh like imagine if you were watching something and you can also read people's minds that's the omniscient part so you would say like 
oh, Edmund said this, but what Edmund really thought was this, this, and this. You know, it's, it's that little extra something. So I like that he's this omniscient uh, narrator, um, but at the same time, I like that it's not all the time. Like, it's not every five seconds. He's like, Susan said this and thought this, and the beavers thought this, this, that, you know, it's like, it's not too obvious. I forget that he's there sometimes, which is how I like my books. The one thing that I don't like, I put so far, at least like from, you know, this is just my first read through of this book, but um, I did not like the fast forwarding at the end, the fast forward grow up. This is a short, short book and it feels like the first like couple pages or like the first, okay, honestly, majority of the book, yeah. Like the first 150 pages. And then the last 20 pages is like them all grown up, speed growing up. It wasn't like, you know, the next day, blah, blah, blah. It was like, there was this big battle and then they all like fought, they won, everyone's freed, blah, blah, blah. All this good, happy endings happening. You know, Aslan came back to life. Aslan, Aslan freed all of these prisoners. Everyone's like thriving. Winter is gone. Spring is here. Like, all this cool stuff and then it was like suddenly they're 40 by the way like this is how the tale ends blah 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 which would be cute if this was a standalone book if this was a standalone book i'd be like okay that was like a short jerk that was like a short little like you know what i mean it was a short adventure it was a short adventure it was fantastic it was fun but it's it's kind of like a fairy tale thing where it's like all these great things happen and then people get old and they live happily ever after and the end but there's like seven other books in this series so I was like why are they in their 40s now like I don't I don't understand you know like whatever I've never seen any of the movies that came after the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and I've also I have no idea what happens the only thing I remember is that Prince Caspian was like a little cute cute guy in the previews you know that's the only thing I remember I remember what Prince Caspian looks like in the movies um but that's about it but that I didn't like that part I know that it's it's pretty parallel to how biblical stories go anyways like there's like oh there's here's abraham and here's this blah blah blah. even the story with adam and eve it's like adam and eve this is their first sin blah blah, blah. and then it's like literally the next page they're like then eve had this daughter this son this son this son this son this son this son eve lived to be like 500 years old then she died anyways and then it goes on you know it doesn't like tell you the next little story like we don't get to know any more information about their little family it's just kind of like this happened, this happened, this happened. Here's this short chapter about something that happened between the sons and then they moved on and Eve died when she was 700 years old. Okay, bye. And it's like, oh, what happened in all those 700? You know, that's it. Like out of all those 700 years, there was like three incidents that happened that are worth writing down. And that's all we got recorded in all those 700 years. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, <sighs> it doesn't make sense. And then I'm like, and if someone wrote that after then, then how did someone, whatever, whatever. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to doubt any religions or anything like that. I'm not trying to doubt doctrines, but this is, this is how it was in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as well. I feel like it was like, there's this big battle, all this cool stuff happening, whatever. And then it was like, uh, they called Susan Queen Susan. They called Lucy Queen Lucy. They called Edmund Queen, sorry, King Edmund and then King Peter, whatever. And they ruled valiantly, blah, blah, blah. Like, Edmund was really good at this and Peter was really good at this blah, blah blah like talked about them as rulers and then it was like they were like adults like I'm pretty sure Peter has like a beard or something and they're like they're they're full-on adults like Lucy is like in her 20s and like but when she was in Narnia she was like nine years old or something and it's like you know I don't know they've been there for at least like 20 or 30 years I think so they've been there like a long long time and there's like not much that's like explained in between and it's just kind of like oh they grew old blah 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 and then it flash forwards to a later time where they're like walking through and they're like hmm look at this light post doesn't it seem kind of familiar and they're like yeah i think i remember like they just completely forgot that they're human beings that came from a human world you know and then eventually they're like i think yeah okay maybe we should like go back let's see let's go see like what's happening in the other world so from that point then they leave you know which I guess, like, now I'm like, okay, like, I guess that's fine because it's, like, it shows how long that they've, like, ruled and then we can assume that when they go back to the human world that, like, not much time has passed, maybe, like, 10 minutes or so. Um, so they'll be in, like, their normal selves again. And it says that, too, you know, they stumble out as children. They, like, walked in that wardrobe, leaving Narnia as, like, men and women. And then they stumbled out and suddenly, like, they're nine again, which I'm like, oof. Like, imagine that. Imagine imagine being in your 30s and then suddenly being, like, nine years old again. Then it's like, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, how do I even act like a kid again? But anyway, so that that's what happened. I did not, I did not like it. I kind of almost would prefer that maybe they 
maybe like a few years or maybe like after the journey they suddenly remembered that they like oh yeah you know like let's go talk to Diggory real quick or you know what I mean like any kind of reason to go back but they had no reason I guess and I guess since it's like springtime maybe it's nicer there I don't know I don't know like I don't know it's just it was just strange to me it was strange to me that it happened like that but it is like the bible so I guess it's okay so anyways okay that's that's what I I'm gonna stop myself now because I'm kind of going over my time limit this is what I have to say okay that's what I have to say about Narnia I liked this book honestly I I liked it um I'm the thing I'm struggling with is that I think like as a child I don't know if I would have read this unless it was like a group effort or unless I was forced to or unless someone's parent was like you have to read this book and this was like the only book that they had there you know what I mean it's like in in comparison to like Percy Jackson um or like anything else honestly like this is not something that I feel like I would be super interested in given the way that it's written and for what age group it's meant for I don't know if I would be into it as a as a kid this seems more like something for like kids who were like advanced readers at a very young age if that makes sense like I could tell the way that this is written that C.S. Lewis like he's like yeah this is for kids like this is for the kids who probably like really tried to read Jane Eyre seriously in like seventh grade you know what I mean like couldn't be me could not be me I would not be doing that so but there I did have friends I did have friends and I did know people who were like that okay or like the wind in the willows when you're like six years old you know what I mean where it's like I guess it's fine but like it seems a little advanced a little bit you know what I mean so maybe not the wind in the willows but you know what I mean like Tom Sawyer type stuff when you're like eight years old and it's like okay it's a classic that people study literally like in college and high school and anyways that's that's what I think maybe this book series might be for this is for the smart people this is for people who are able to understand complex situations or at least be really reflective about it as a child um could not be me could not be me so you know I don't think if this would appeal to me as a child but I do appreciate it now um I think out of five stars I would give this maybe like I would give this book maybe like 3.9 stars not four stars I usually write things four stars I I liked this book but I wasn't like excited all the time to read it if that makes sense like it wasn't like series of unfortunate events where I was deeply invested in these characters I think I need to spend more time with these characters and then then maybe the other books will get slowly better for me but I feel like I don't know that much about them I witnessed a good story that's what's happening I witnessed a good story a good intro story um, but I prefer things when I get to bond and relate to my characters and so far I can't relate or bond to any of these characters so um, you know hope hopefully that changes up and I you know something happens I learn more about them and about the way that they are but or at least they get more realistic instead of more childlike so we'll see what happens um, I'm curious to see if they go back or if we're just going to get new characters or um, how much time they're going to decide to spend in the human world before going back because honestly like if I came back as a nine years old person and I was like in my 30s um and I traveled back and him to be nine I'd be like yep going back like I would just step right back into Narnia eat my little berries ride my little horse and you know never think about that place again so that's that that's what I thought I give this a 3.9 my goal here is at least for the podcast is to try and like push through as many as I can maybe as quickly as I can I don't know if I'll be able to do what I did when I first started everything which was like a book a week but um you know I'm gonna try my best I'm gonna try my best to try and get some some stuff out there these books are really short and I kind of want to hurry up a little bit so we can start reading Percy Jackson um as soon as possible so anyways that is what I have to say this is uh you know reading into a podcast thank you for listening you guys um i'll get more organized with stuff and i appreciate as usual you guys listening um as usual you can find me on instagram at reading into it pod um or you can email me at reading into it uh podcast at gmail.com okay thank you bye